What's up, y'all? It is Will, Schedule Fly, and today I have second-time guest Cyrus Batchin on the phone. He is in Los Angeles, and he has a, we were just talking before we start recording, he's got a very unique perspective uh, and sort of skin in the game in a different way than a lot of a lot of folks here, certainly than anybody else we've spoken to yet, because Cyrus has two places in L.A. that he's involved with, uh, Lock and Key and Nightshade. Then he has two places in Vietnam that he's involved with, uh, East West, which is a brewery, and uh, Skylight Natrang. So um, he was over there prior to prior to this all happening, and it started occurring a little bit sooner there, than, and they were more aware of it there in Vietnam. So he was able to get home, uh, or to this home uh, in Los Angeles, and, uh, and there he is. And so Cyrus... Thanks for taking the time to do this. Glad you made it back safe and sound. I'm looking forward to catching up, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Glad to be here again. Yeah, man. Okay, so you – okay, look, I'm I'm in North Carolina, you know, and things are a little bit – well, we're still not opened up, but certainly all around us things are starting to open up. Um, and meanwhile – I want to hear more about what's happening in Vietnam, but first let's talk about Los Angeles because if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I think in the last day or two I saw something along the lines of Los Angeles County is kind of kind of keep things shut down for three more months. Is that right? Yeah. So the announcement that came out um, was the um, health department. Basically, the director of the health department came out and just said, you know, the stay-at-home order would remain in effect probably sometime through August, the mayor came back and said, you know, just because the order is going to stay in effect um, doesn't mean, you know, there won't be a loosening of restrictions along the way. And as of yesterday, they they passed it, and kind of quietly, they, they passed the extension um, with no end date. Up until yesterday, every time they put, you know, an extension on this order, um, it included a date. So I think originally it was, what do we hit, like... April or March 17th to like April 15th and then it was April 15th to May 15th and now it's been passed again with with no you know technical end but I I do think that there will be some loosening um, along the way okay all right now what what's it like on the ground there because I'm you know it's so hard to keep up with this stuff first of all and, and I've kind of started to check out of the news a little bit because it's just so much and it's so much noise and there's so much different stuff happening in different places but i think i saw yesterday somewhere that people were like you are allowed to go back on the beaches now is that right or in certain beaches you can yeah so it's you know state local or state county then local governments the beaches and trails did open up la as part of their stay-at-home order um are requiring face coverings whenever you're in public this is the first time they kind of said that you know if you're on a solo activity, you're on a hike in the middle of nowhere, and you're not going to interact with anybody, you don't need to wear a mask, but generally you should have a mask with you. Um, so, yeah, beaches, hiking trails, I believe, you know, a lot of outdoor facilities, tennis courts, things like that are opening back up. Okay. So we can get back out to those and, you know, still the curbside delivery and things like that, but no no dine-in. Although the state, you know, I'm not sure if you followed it, but the state did come back and kind of outline what – um, the opening up of dining rooms would look like, but a lot of the counties haven't got there yet. What What do they say it would look like? It's a lot of, you know, ha- every location needs to have a 
their kind of COVID plan, you know, like their their sanitization plan procedures, having, you know, disposable menus, um, customers when they're waiting to, for the restaurant, you know, preferably wait outside, not in a waiting area, um, at all possible, maintain those social distances. So make sure you're keeping, you know, service stations for employees more than six feet away from the nearest table. Um, and then keeping bars, essentially like bar counters and restaurants, areas that people would congregate more closely, um, closed as well. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people now are, you know, scrambling, and I'm sure everybody's seeing it all over the news, you know, these weird partitions between tables and all this stuff. I just came back from a meeting with my HVAC contractor. I've been doing some research, and actually there's a company out of North Carolina um, that m- makes a filtration system. Um, it's like a high-density filter for your air conditioner with, like, UV lighting to help, you know, kind of purify the air, essentially. Ah. So it, we're all kind of looking at, starting to look at, you know, becoming experts on these, uh, you know, sanitation procedures and, and things we need to set up. So next couple of weeks, that's really what I'm going to be focused on. Boy, never thought you'd know so much about sanitation, huh? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it, we're all in... You know, food and beverage, I think we all take it a little bit differently front yeah. of house, back of house versus the average person, right? I think we always, sure. most restaurant operators, we, we're responsible for the well-being of our guests, so we operate at a different level. But this is, you know, you're talking about viruses and airborne pathogens and things like that. It's a whole new ball game. No, for sure. No, no, it's taking it to a whole new level. Uh, okay, so... Um, so, Nightshade, by the way, did y'all... Um, was, was it Nightshade just nominated for James Beard? Or? Yeah, so we got um, nomination for Best New Restaurant, so we made it to the final. Um, chef, she was nominated for Best Chef semifinalist, but we the f- only nomination that we made it to in the finals is for Best New Restaurant. So we're you know, kind of in this weird, crazy time of everything that's, that's going on. Um, you know, James Beard said, you know, we're going to come out and at least – even though it was delayed, announced the finalists, and you know, hopefully sometime in September they'll they'll do the award ceremony. But it's you know definitely a, it's a weird feeling to be celebrating something like that, and then kind of having to celebrate it at a distance with your team because you know that not as huge as you know, and it's it really is being nominated as best in restaurant really is all about the team essentially. You know, it's the collective effort of everybody, you know, front of house, back of house, everybody that 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 puts you in the running for that. So it's weird kind of not being able to closely celebrate that with your team. So, Well, speaking of that, how is your team? You guys keeping up with them as well as possible? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of, you know, uh, some Zoom happy hours here and there, um, a lot of random texts. I'm trying to do, you know, with lock and key specifically right when this, we closed on the 15th of March, so we closed before the order went into effect. You know, I set up the first time I went to the grocery store, saw how crazy it was, and I'm just thinking about my employees and the team members. I'm like, okay, you know, these guys live paycheck to paycheck, you know, or they have small savings. Don't want them to spend their last dollar or be, you know, kind of exposed to having to wait in line at stores. So I, I actually just called my vendors, did a bunch of big batch orders for things, you know, toilet, everything from toilet paper to cereal to rice to beans to house cleaning products, and then I just called the staff and said, hey, I actually posted on Schedulefly of, you know, come by, bring a bag, and we're doing, a, you know, essentially a pantry. You can come by and grab whatever you need. 
Mm. So staying in touch with them. Nightshade, as part of the celebration for the James Beard Award, one of our employees does a, um, she has like a side pop-up restaurant um, that she's been working on. So I just, employing her and then our head bartender to kind of create some cocktails and food pairings that they're going to then go take and deliver to all the employees. So kind of buying them a meal, but it's, you know, collective celebration. They're getting a cocktail and a meal. Um, and hopefully be able to you know, get us all on Zoom and, and celebrate at home. The, the James Beard nod. Yeah, well, congrats on that, and good luck on that. That's a huge honor and a huge opportunity. And um, So when do they, you said September, when do they typically announce that? So typically the awards actually would have been when, uh, May 4th. That would have actually been the, the awards. Um, ceremony in Chicago would have been May 4th, but they actually delayed their announcement, which was supposed to be in April, and they pushed that to May. So now, from what we're hearing, it's September is what they're shooting for in Chicago to do some, you know, whether it's an in-person award or a digital award or whatever it is, um, ceremony, there will be something in September is what they're leaning towards. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, so how about Tell me, you were talking a little bit about this before we start recording, but tell me what they did in Vietnam. So Vietnam, I was there for Lunar New Year. I'm there every year, Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year. It's a huge, you know, celebration throughout Southeast Asia. Um, <clears throat> there started to hear the inklings of this going on, and our bar, Skylight, is actually in a tourist market. So, you know, we have an international airport direct into Nanjing. A lot of the flights are coming in from China and Korea, uh, South Korea. So we start to hear the inklings of what's going on. We have some relationships with um, airport administrators, you know, tourism board officials, things like that. And they're saying, hey, you know, something is happening. We're going to be reducing flights. Um, <clears throat> so as I was actually going to be extending my trip by a day or two, I called my travel agent here in L.A. and she deals a lot with Southeast Asia. And I said, hey, you know, I want to change my flight a couple of days. And she's just like, no come home now I'm like she's like if you change your flight I may not be able to get you a flight out I'm like what do you mean she's like a lot of airlines are canceling their flights uh, return flights from Asia I'm like okay this is definitely more serious than you know what what you know we're kind of hearing so I came back home and a day or two after I came back home you know I have my weekly call with my partners over there and they're just like yeah you know Vietnam just announced that they're basically suspending all the tourist visas and canceling you know, all incoming flights, unless you have like a very specific business reason to be there or you're a Vietnamese citizen. So they essentially and effectively closed down the country completely um, in a matter of weeks after I left. So pretty, pretty intense. And I don't, from what I'm hearing right now, it won't even open back up for the kind of broader world until sometime in August, which is crazy. What, now, are they, are they keeping people at home there or what's it like? within the country? So, you know, um, communist regime, but, you know, I think people are definitely, having gone through SARS and things like that, they definitely take this, you know, seriously. Um, you know, so wearing masks, they, they just were released out of lockdown, but, you know, wearing masks in public still required. You will get a ticket. Um, so it was shut down for about a month. They loosened the restrictions. Um, a little bit after, it was like the first week of May, 
and now things are starting to open up. All the way to nightclubs, everything is opening up, but you know there are reduced capacities and things like that. So for a solid month, it was a complete shutdown. The same same thing you're seeing here. Um, and you know, I talk to my partners every day. They actually live in the hotel where our our bar is at. This is a thousand room hotel that was running at pretty much 90% occupancy, you know, seven days a week that went down to having three residents. And the oh my gosh. My partners and the other one is their friend. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so those guys had an interesting experience there. I'm like looking at their social media feed every day and they're just, you know, swimming laps in the, the hotel pool. They're working out in the gym, but it's just nobody. How is the hotel even, I mean, are they, they must have a skeleton crew. They must be barely even staffed with just three yeah, people. Complete skeleton crew. They they move them to a uh, to a lower floor so they can kill all the power on you know certain floors. Um, but yeah, you just got to maintain kind of your skeleton crew. And I think what you know, a, like a lot of business owners, um, large or small, um, taking you know this opportunity to, to to get all those like maintenance nooks and crannies looked after. You know, so there's always facilities maintenance that can occur. And it's easier when you don't have a thousand people running through your building. So, man, uh, that's interesting. So, well, okay, tell me a little bit about what it is like doing business. I mean, in, in a by the way, your place is you know, Nightshade's badass looking. I've followed you on social media and stuff. That place looks awesome but what is it like doing business in in a communist regime like that what's the what are the main differences um honestly um you don't as a expat the country is very open to foreign investment it's it's kind of like china in the sense that um you you notice that at certain i mean as you get up to certain levels you obviously would notice it but you know the country is very open the people are very warm um and it is it is one of the the strongest developing economies in Southeast Asia. So really what it feels like is, you know, being kind of in, you know, a develop, it doesn't feel like necessarily being in a developing country, but it feels like, you know, being in an environment of entrepreneurism because there's just tons of people opening, you know, small hotels, restaurants, and it's a, there's a burgeoning middle class. So, you know, looking at it from afar, the politics are there, of course, but, as an individual doing business and and just kind of on the ground, I don't, you know, it's not like a Gestapo type res- regime where, you know, you've got to be freaked out every time you leave your house. So it really mm-hmm. is an extremely open and warm country. I I kind of encourage people to go. And as an entrepreneur, it, it's always exciting to be in and around. I think you know a country or a city or community that's developing because you. Think about it. If you open a restaurant in a, in a new downtown in the middle of America, right, and there's one storefront, then there ends up being three and four, and then there's people walking around, and you know now there's cars going by. That same kind of feeling is what you get, you know, from a business perspective of doing business. I think in, in Vietnam, you, you know, you're part of something that's kind of growing and, mm. and getting bigger, and the, the larger political landscape that's in the background, you're aware of it. It's there, but um, there's no kind of you know, barrier to entry to, to go there and do business. That's interesting. Okay. What about the tax structure there? Is it vastly different? Uh, so, I mean, again, because you have like social insurance and things like that. So your tax structure is a, uh, a lot stronger. Um, 
you know, you're paying, you know, your your hourly wages may be low on employees, but the, the taxes that you're paying for social insurance and things like that are extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it'd be equivalent to doing business in like, you know, Sweden or some of those other, those other countries yeah. that, you know, essentially are socialist. Okay. Cost of goods, though? Lower? Cost of goods... So for alcohol and things that are considered vices, the taxes are very high, sometimes up to 200%. Or for luxury items. Okay. So cost of goods on alcohol, um, not as good as you would see here in the U.S. Cost of goods on food, um, if you're depending, again, you know, it's are you buying filet mignon, are you buying local, Yeah. can be, you know, very low. The margins are really honestly vastly different or just really at the, the labor because the, the monthly salary is so low so it's one of those kind of developing countries you can solve problems by throwing labor at it and it doesn't really move the needle you can solve problems by throwing labor at it okay which is quite the opposite of what we have here um yeah interesting okay uh yeah i just i don't understand the economics of it very well of uh of that that type of a political and economic Landscape, so that's very educational. Okay, good deal. All right, so, so you've got. Well, let me ask you this then: When do you think you'll be able to get back over there? Do you have any idea? Uh, my last conversation with them was probably August, but I've got a baby on the way, which will be here in August. So Congrats! <laughs> probably, probably not. Thank you. Probably not sometime after that. So. All right. Is um, this your first? Actually, first yeah oh my god dude you have got one heck of a situation right now that's an i'm impressed man i'm impressed you're able to keep your head on straight you got two places in la two in vietnam a baby on the way and a pandemic good grief man yeah <laughs> uh, and, I, and I, I can i can throw one more loop the building next to one of my places in la caught on fire so i'm dealing with insurance oh really another thing yeah. the, we, the building next to which one uh next to lock and key so it's we're a standalone building and we're kind of sandwiched between a gas station, then there's our building, and then there's like a little shopping center and uh, some restaurants in the shopping center oh. caught on fire. They have some like electro issues, but it's created a hazard for us. And oh. so I've been every morning literally waking up and grabbing my coffee and calling six different insurance adjusters to kind of push them to, to get us to get access to the property so we can get back open. Mm. Now, um, so that's lock and key. Do you own that building? You said standalone. Is that your building or do you lease it? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. Um, now, where, how about Nightshade? That's, you don't own that building, do you? Isn't that in a- no, yeah. So we're, you know, we've got a good relationship with the landlord. We, we did, you know, kind of like just basically tell them like, hey, we want to preserve cash flow, hold back on rent. Um, we were successful in the PPP, actually, for both my businesses here. Um, but we did suspend. We, we were doing takeout. Takeout was actually fairly strong. We ran into some supply chain issues being able to get some of the stuff that we needed. Um, and then some of our employees were just kind of coming back and saying, hey, they didn't feel comfortable working. Mm. Now that we've been successful in the PPP, we're going to reevaluate. And, you know, we've got this money. Um, but we've got to reevaluate, you know, what our model looks like um, for the takeout component. And we've kind of been sitting back waiting, you know, hoping on Tuesday, Governor Newsom announces his, you know, vision for reopening and the plan. 
and then LA obviously said something different. So we're kind of in this holding pattern of, we know we can't open the dining room, but maybe we've got to just, you know, go back to the takeout model for a little bit. Okay. Um, supply chain issues. What What's happening with the supply chain right now, just in general? And I, I asked that one, because you just mentioned it and two, because, you know, as a lay person who doesn't have the and again, a lot of noise out there, but I'm starting to hear a lot of things about, you, you, you know, you better consumers better stock up on beef and meat if you like that because we're, we're going to have problems soon. What do you think about that? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously any type of major disruption like this, you know, has an effect, right? So I think, you know, that the lay person, the average consumer can see it when they went to their grocery store and there was a line down the block and the shelves were empty. Mm. You know, all that stuff's got to get back there, get restocked. It's like a restaurant. When a restaurant gets in the weeds and we, you know, prepped for, you know, 100 customers, but then we've got a 1,000, you know, how do you keep up with that? So I think, you know, for the average person to just understand it as, hey, there was a, a, a kind of a heavy demand thrown in the onto the system one way so you know went from it started with cleaning products you know just calling and saying hey we need sanitizers this and that and it's like okay we don't have that and then we're going down to our local restaurant depot or costa costco and it's not on the shelves hmm. and then the issue started coming with you know some of the purveyors laying off you know some of the small purveyors that we work with laying off some staff or furloughing staff so you know they're just unable to you know, get product from A to B, or maybe they're just not even getting product. If you're dealing with like a local kind of like small, you know, seafood operation, they may be working off one or two boats. Maybe they are down to one boat and then they've got to figure out, is it worth it to even send that boat out to get, you know, product because which restaurants are taking it. So the system hit some pressure. Um, and, you know, I think it's just, it took a matter of, you know, weeks to adjust and, and, as restaurateurs and operators, I think we're used to kind of, you know, hey, hey, you can't get product A, you got to deal with product B. Does it fit your needs? Will it maintain integrity? Does it, you know, is the cost significantly different? So, the, you know, all the things that we're used to dealing with um, were intensified. Plus, we're dealing with this thing of not knowing whether we even have customers or not. So, mm. a crazy, crazy experience for sure. No doubt about it. Um, well, if any group of people can handle it, it's independent hospitality people, man. You are a freaking amazing group. Um, I mean, prior to this, what you do is already challenging enough, and all the things you have to balance is so impressive to me. So uh, I've been very inspired talking to folks like you throughout this. I think this is, you know, we've done somewhere around 50 interviews in the last couple months, and, of course, people have had a little bit more time. <laughs> so we've been able to ramp up the volume, but I've been – constantly impressed and inspired by just the ability to absorb this deal with the initial you know sort of shock emotions and then just roll the sleeves up pull up the bootstraps get the creative cap on and just roll seen a lot of creativity a lot of um, invention a lot of flexibility and agility and nimbleness and uh, it's really impressive um, what, what are, who are some of the folks that you've stayed in touch with or followed from afar or, or, you know, folks that you've seen do things that have, um, impressed you or inspired you through this, Cyrus? Oh, you know, I really, it, it started initially with the kind of whole hospitality community here in LA. Um, there was a, 
you know, it was like the L.A. Restaurant Coalition formed pretty quickly, then it turned into the Independent Hospitality Coalition. So I think for us as restaurateurs and operators, there is this mentality, like you said, of you got to be able to roll up your sleeves sometimes and um, take control of the situation. So we're, you know, we're kind of in this helpless situation, but I, I looked pretty quickly at people banding together. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, a couple of restaurateurs just kind of like leading the charge with us and just getting people together saying, hey, you know, we got to start reaching out to city council and the mayor's office and, you know, everybody's going to need help. So I think the community as a whole um, really has impressed me because I think everybody's has stood up in this moment of, you know, whether it's donating your products to your employees or giving them to a shelter or, you know, just getting on the phone and, you know, making sure that we get things like the CARES Act through so, you know, businesses can actually survive. Yeah. I think the community as a whole has really impressed me, honestly, um, because we, you know, we took it on the chin really, really quickly. Yeah. And, and I, I had to put it into perspective for, you know, kind of my friends. I'm like, just close your eyes and think about how many restaurants you drive by on your way home. Right. Like maybe you've eaten there, maybe you haven't. Right. But think about those businesses and how many people they employ and then multiply that times, you know, the United States times the, the towns and cities and states across the country and think about the impact that that can have on the economy if all of those businesses fail at the same time. And mm. people are just like, okay, yeah, you know, you close your eyes and if you're in a, if you're in a populous city like LA, you might drive by 50 restaurants just, you know, Easily. down yeah. Ventura Boulevard on your way home. Sure. So, so um, you know, the community really stood up. All I think all restaurateurs, especially in LA and, you know, throughout New York, everywhere have really just, you know, stood up. We're the ones now feeding first responders, doing, I'm doing donations to hospitals and, mm low-income community so you know we're still there doing it and what i realized one myself and two kind of talking to some of the other restaurateurs that i am close with is we can't not be busy right so we're just finding a different way to be busy and it's it's almost like you're just running you're running away from the fact that you know this this bigger problem is looming out there but you're still just trying to do what you can do to hopefully you know provide for the community because at the end of the day that's what a restaurant does it provides mm-hmm. something for the community. 100%. That's what hospitality is. Um, and at its core, and you all do, I, I would agree, first of all, the entire industry collectively has stepped up in ways that are just incredible. And, you know, you can predict, not predict, you, you can sort of get a sense of where this may go. There'll be a vaccine. It's probably going to be a while. Some areas are going to stay shut down longer than others. Some people are going to be really afraid for a long time. There's been a lot of fear stoked from all this. There's a lot of things you can sort of get your head around. What you can't ever predict, though, which I just, this is true within your industry and just within humanity, you can't predict invention. You can't predict ingenuity. You can't pre- like nobody. W- I wouldn't have thought that I would look on Instagram this morning and see that one of our customers is like selling these badass like boxed, pre-cooked meals that you can buy and and then they'll they'll deliver it over to hospital. I mean not hospitality, hospital workers, first responders. Like how freaking cool is that? Like it's just all these things that y'all are doing. That's just so unique and so 
you know, I would never bet against the industry. I, I would say that there are certainly going to be individual businesses that are, are probably not going to make it through this. And I hate that. And it's terrible. Um, it, it's an unfortunate consequence of this. But as a whole, your industry is going to get better and wiser and stronger and, you know, be ready to adapt very quickly the next time something like this happens, which it will, you know, a year or two or five or 10 or 20 years from now. So, um, it's, that's what's going to happen. And those, those businesses, those restaurants you drive by every day, some may close their doors for good. Unfortunately, some of those businesses were probably, you know, uh, if they were struggling a little bit in a booming economy, already then you know there were other issues there somebody will come fill their their shoes eventually and your industry is gonna going to take a hit um absorb it and come back stronger and thrive uh and and be even better and have more ways to serve the community from all this i really believe that and um as hard as it is it's easy to say that when i'm on the outside although i serve y'all and i I think about y'all every day and we you know we talk to folks every day it's certainly very close personally to all of us here um at schedule fly but but i really do believe that and i believe that the you know the consumer and the community they're thinking about this a lot more like those friends that you mentioned that to that you said all right you know close your eyes and think about this that conversation is going on all over the country right now for sure cyrus and i mean people that i know that maybe weren't as dialed in and locked and loaded on how amazing independent restaurants are as i may have been prior to this now they're going hey will you know all that stuff you're always talking about how awesome independent restaurants are? We get it now. <laughs> like, damn, what do we do to support them? Because we sure as hell don't want them to close because that's where we go hang out and have fun and celebrate all these great things in life and mourn and see friends we hadn't seen for a, lot, a while and develop relationships with, you know, local owners and servers and bartenders. And, uh, you know, they're thinking about that more now. So um, that'll be a, a good that will come from this. I think people will appreciate you all even more. Where do you go for your first date, and where do you go when you get dumped, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) You you, you tend to get out of the house, you end up at a restaurant, or you end up at a local bar, or whatever it may be, and that's, again, I think we're part of the community, and I I like to see, really that's what makes me passionate about this, and when we were, the city council was trying to pass certain measures here in LA um, that we thought would be prohibitive to restaurants, you know, I got on the phone with some city council members and I said, look, there are bad actors in the restaurant space. There are people who take advantage of their employees. That's like any industry. But really what you have to understand about restaurateurs or people in the hospitality space is we not only take care of the community, but we take care of our employees. The first thing I thought of when, you know, the doors are closing and things are going on, I actually, I thought first about, I have a baby on the way at home and I thought first about my employees my employees honestly of yeah. you know shit what what are they going to do what can they do what can I do I, I feel a sense of responsibility for them and then as the weeks went on and I was you know I spent a couple weeks at home and I'm looking at ways of you know cost cutting measures and trying to think about how we can reopen eventually and all that it dawned on me like you know regardless of what's going on I can't get in the kitchen there's a fire going on there's other small restaurant tours out there that I know let me go get with them and let's go start doing you know meals to, to hospitals and and LAPD and whoever you know wants or needs it and just start giving back to the community so I was explaining to them is that you know restaurant tours very specifically sometimes we 
put our needs behind those of the community and the restaurant because we do this for very low margins. Yeah. You know, there isn't an unemployment or retirement plan a lot of the times. Right. And we do it because we genuinely care and we just genuinely want to, you know, do what we can to kind of make our communities that much better. Amen. Amen, brother. Y'all do. Y'all y'all do that already prior to all this and now it's just been uh, that has just been accelerated. So, um, well, look, I, I really appreciate it. It's good to catch up with you. I, uh, oh, one thing I want to ask, do, do you know what you're having? You having a boy or a girl? Uh, I have a boy. Oh. We haven't decided on the name. That's been, uh, that's been the challenge, but we are having a boy. Oh, you got some time, man. It'll, it'll work. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. That will be, wow. That'll be really cool. Um, thank you. Born, born at the tail end of a pandemic, man. You always have that yeah. story to tell them. He'll be like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> uh, wow, man. Okay, well, cool, Cyrus. Uh, stay safe. Um, tell your staff we love them. If y'all need anything, you know where we're at. And uh, man, I just appreciate it very much. Appreciate the time and appreciate the great conversation. And I just I learned a lot, and I know everybody listening well too. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, you know, one thing, um, before I forget, I keep forgetting to ask people this and then I have to turn around and text them, uh, right after I get done is if you, when you have a chance, uh, send me a, um, I'm calling them pandemic selfies. It's probably a terrible, terrible name, but I don't have anything else. I can't think of anything else to call them. But if you go to our Instagram, you see all these pictures of people that we've interviewed for this podcast, uh, just send me a picture. We'll stick it up on Instagram when we announce your episode and, um, okay. Just text one to me when you have a chance. No rush, man. Uh, I've got a full beer, but I, I'm actually texting you a photo of myself in front of the burned-out building at Lock and Key. There you go. Too. All right, man. Let's the, do that. I've got a full-on pandemic beard going. That, so do I, dude. So do I, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, all, it's coming strong. In fact, my hair is longer than it's ever been, literally ever, ever, ever. Um, okay. So my wife keeps threatening to give me a haircut, but I've been I've been. Oh, no, my girl is going crazy. And I, was, I just told her, I was like, listen, like, I was like, maybe this is a matter of just self-control, but at the end of the day, this is something, one, when am I ever going to be able to do this? Like, just hey, that's, a, a, that's right. not a haircut or a beard for months at a time. Yeah. And two, it's just giving me, like, a mental thing of, okay, I'm in control of something, right? So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's hilarious. I know. I told her, I was like, if you keep saying that, I'm going to give myself a mullet, then you're going to really be upset. It's just so long in the back right now. It's terrible, but hey, what the heck? Nobody else sees it. So, All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate it, Cyrus. Have a good one, and uh, we'll catch up soon, my friend. Let me know if I can do anything for you. All right. Thank you. See you.